0: complications, a lot of uh, work that needs to be done, and one of the worries that I had is uh, we might get distracted by all this kind of preparation work, and and I asked God, like, what is it that I need to focus on? What is it that I need to do so that I keep myself from actually wandering aside because of all of these tasks, all of these responsibilities, all of these things that I need to do? And what came to mind as I was uh, working on this is God really put on my heart, rediscover the awe of God, rediscover who I am, and just be in awe. And in in that, I understood part of that meant, like, in God's presence, he realigns my values. In God's presence, he helps me to realize what's important again, and me being able to trust him more than me being able to entrust All of these issues that I need to take care of based on my resources and my planning and everything that I can do. He just says, you need to remember that I'm the one that's leading, that I'm the one that's in charge, and you can trust me. And this is why we have this theme as we're going into it, rediscovering the awe of God. And so this being the theme of our entire year, um, I wanted to start our vision series in January called this, That They May Worship, That They May Worship. And in this worship, we rediscover the awe of God in our life. So let me begin with this. If you look in your life and you look past in all the things that you've been doing in your life and the experiences that you've had, what is the worst long-standing chronic pain, complexity, hardship, trouble, challenge that you have had to face in your life? What is that long-standing hardship, challenge, struggle that it's been going on for so long and it feels like it never ends. There's no solution to it. And you've been experiencing that in your life. Now, once you have that in your mind, I want you to ask you, if you are God right now and you could answer your own prayer request in light of that challenge and that hardship that you're going through, what would be the right answer? What would you say is the answer or the solution to the problem that you've been experiencing if you were God and you could say it God just give me this or God just do this for me what would that be now the solution that you just came up with in your own head probably seems right to you and if you shared it with me and if I made you guys share it with each other I'm most certain all of us would agree with you and just say actually that sounds like a pretty good solution In fact, I'm pretty sure that with all the things and all the trouble that we go through, a lot of us, we would come to the same conclusion if we were in that same trouble or hardship that we were experiencing. And sometimes I think this is why we find our relationship with God a little bit difficult. Because in our perspective and with our limited view, what seems right to us or what seems right in terms of a solution that we need, and so obvious and so commonsensical that anyone else would know this, and especially God, he should know this, that that should be the answer. And our hardship that we have with God is that he doesn't seem to see it that way. He doesn't at times seem to answer in a way that seems so obvious that this is what would make my life better. Or this is what would change my life. Or, or bring me to the place where I feel healthy again. You know, at times I think this is why God feels in our life so silent and so distant. Because we're not getting that answer that's so commonsensical in our minds. That The solution in our minds is so easy. I'm sure most of us have had experiences like this. You know, I'm gonna just give a lighter example. When I was like a teen, I remember one time I was absolutely certain, like 100%, no doubt in my mind certain, that this girl in my class really liked me. Like, I was reading all the signs right, right? And I was like, yes, she likes me for sure. And then I began, when I started to see that, and I was like reading all these kinds of, stuff, oh yeah, you know what, if I ask her out, of course she's going to say yes. And because I was just becoming a Christian at that time, I did what was right as a Christian. I brought it to God in prayer, right, I said, God, and I began this way, if it is your will, right, when I ask her, let her say yes. But you guys all know what I really mean by that is, not if it is your will, is that Your will better be my desire, right? Your will better equate what I want to happen in this situation. I said, Lord, if it's your will, meaning I want it to be your will, let her say yes when I ask her. And you guys know what happened as soon as I asked her? Yeah, look at me. Like, who says this, right? But it's exactly what happened. She said no, and she said, what are you doing? Right? And I was so embarrassed that I didn't want to go to school the next day. Neither did I want to meet any of my friends because I was so confident. Right? And I was telling all my friends, I like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, she likes me. Of course she's going to say yes. And it was this total, absolute rejection. No. What are you? And that was her exact words. And you can see it's I'm still scarred to this day. What are you doing? See, at that time, I struggled with God so much. Because I just felt like, God, if you really loved me, and you cared for me, how could you allow this to happen? But for those of you who are sharp-minded, you probably already caught the kind of nuance that I'm bringing into my relationship with God at that time. See, basically, I was equating God's love for me based on my desires. So God's love for me equals Him approving and having the same desires that I have. Essentially, I was basically saying, God, if you don't love what I love, if you don't have the same desires that I have, then you don't love me. That was my truth. That was my relationship with God, but I didn't see it that way. I wanted God to love the things that I loved to give me the things that I wanted, because in my mind, that was the solution. See, we all do this a lot, don't we? And you can't blame us for doing it because we are limited in terms of our solutions to solve some of the complexities that we have to deal with in our everyday life. And this is why God calls us into our relationship with Him, to entrust that complexity what we feel we're so certain that's the right answer it may not be and we entrust that complexity to God and saying lord you are god and he calls us into his relationship to trust him more and more now with this long kind of like introduction i want to lead us in into our passage for today and it comes from exodus chapter 7 verse 16 and then also exodus chapter 8 verse 1 and then exodus chapter 9 verse 1 Exodus 7:16 Then say to him the Lord the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness Now look at chapter 8 Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And then again in chapter 9, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews say, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let me just pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much for giving us your word. And as we get in into this together, I pray may you open up our hearts and our minds so we really understand what this says. And that we may see, Father Lord, what that distance is between us and you. And help us, Father Lord, to come back and so that we may be filled by your spirit, that we may be awed in your presence again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, what was happening here is that the, Israel- the Hebrew people were going through 400 years of slavery. They were oppressed, and there was no solution to all the oppression and that slavery that they had kind of like tumbled in into. It got so bad that they were so weak that the solution is, do we do a revolt? But then the solution behind that or the complexity behind that is, are we strong enough? We don't even have weapons, and they are a really skilled army. Then maybe, let's run away. But how far can we really get if we try to run away from this? Or maybe we can ask if the guards stop beating us. But is that really the solution if they they start treating us better? Is that really the solution to some of the pain that we're experiencing? You see, in this crying out to God, because we see in Exodus, it says, the people began to cry out to God because their pain... And the complexity of their pain is due to all of the trials and all of the oppression, all of the slavery that they are experiencing. And this is the solution that God gives to Moses. He says to them, Tell Moses to go to Pharaoh, and the solution to their oppression, the solution. To their beatings, the solution to their insecurities and their loss of identity, he says, is worship. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that, and he says, they may worship. He doesn't say so that they can establish a nationhood and become this nation of Israel and then claim that. He doesn't say so that I can give them a land so that they feel more secure in their own land. He doesn't say anything else. He says so they may worship. The first space in our complexities and our challenges and everything that we experience in our life. God says the first place is worship. So that we may worship. See, What God is pointing out is that he's not addressing the symptoms to some of the problems that we are experiencing. God's pointing out to us something deeper that we may not agree with, but God's saying, but this is really the cause. The symptom is the beating and the oppression and all this kind of stuff that you're experiencing. But the root cause has to do with who you're worshiping. That's where all of this pain, all of the struggle, all of this misalignment is all coming from. It's at uh, at the core of your heart, who you worship or what you are worshiping is misaligned. So worship then becomes a treatment that God gives to all of our pain, to all of our struggle, and to whatever challenge that we are going through. See, when I was a teenager... If my deepest longing and the challenge that I had in my life was for companionship, and this is why I was saying, God, I know for sure you're going to give, and she's going to say yes, and then, you know, I can date this person. If my deepest longing there was companionship, or I really want to be loved because all my other friends are dating or all the other stuff is going on, if I really wanted that, what God is saying where that is found is not in this girl, but where that's found is in worship and drawing closer to me. You see, we see this example over and over again in the Bible with every practical issue that people were experiencing, and God keeps directing them towards worship as their primary solution. You know, this awe of God to trust him more. Look, Remember Saul, Saul had this kind of vengeance and this mindset. His deepest longing in his heart was for truth and for standing up for what was right. He was a legalist. He says, I want to do things that are right, and I want to discover the real truth. And he believed that he had it. And that was his deepest longing, and he tried to find it in religion. But it wasn't found there. It was found in worship of God. Remember on his way from, um, from Damascus, he has this big scene and then this encounter with the living Jesus. That awe of God, that worship of God, it completely changed his mindset and his paradigm. His deepest longing for what was true and what was right was now satisfied in that moment of worship. We look at Isaiah and remember him. For him, Isaiah being a prophet, maybe it's through his title or prophetic title that he's holding on to for significance. And so he's saying, well, I'm a prophet. I have to do these kind of responsibilities, duties for the people. But in Isaiah 6, we see him coming for God and then suddenly it feels like God's presence fills his place and he's in awe of God. And in this awe of God, as this glory of God fills his place, God reveals who he is to Isaiah. And the very first response that Isaiah gives to God is he says, yes, send me. I'm ready. Whatever you do, even before you say it, I am ready. His deepest longing for significance through his title of prophetic uh, leader of, of Israel, it was found in worship, not in his title. We look at the example of Job, Job who had a lot of materialistic wealth, and he was doing everything that was right, and yet tragedy hits Job, and as soon as everything is taken away, and now the security that the materialistic blessing had brought him is now suddenly gone, his solution to that loss was worship. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will be Depart. May the name of the Lord be blessed in Job chapter 1. He bows down, and the Bible says, and he bowed down in worship. And he said, naked I came. Naked I will depart. May the name of the Lord be blessed. His primary answer to the insecurity of this materialistic blessing was in worship. We look at Moses And Moses, this need for assurance that my struggles that I'm going through and leading these stiff-necked people that keep not listening to me and keep fighting against me, is it worth it, God? Do I have to keep going this way when it feels like we're not getting anywhere and we're just wandering here? Do I keep leading this? And then at that moment, he asked God to show me your glory. Show me your back at least. And after he covers him in that rock, in that, in that space, God's glory passes over. And Moses, in that moment of worship, he says, I'm ready to do it again. Brothers and sisters, our realistic problems that we have, that sometimes we feel like is totally dissociated with our relationship with God, God keeps Bringing us back to, it's found in worship, in awe of him. This is why when we look at Abraham, when we following God's call to the promised land, and he heard the promise, go to the land that I called you, and he steps in. And as soon as he steps in, rather than seeing a flourishing land, and a land ready for your taking, he sees Canaanites that are huge, and they're well equipped to beat him. He sees a land that's filled with famine. And the very first thing that Abraham does As a result of seeing what looked like a broken promise, what looked like a disillusionment in his life, that looked like he made the wrong choice. The very first thing that Abraham does in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, is he built an altar and he worshiped God. When we feel lost in our life and we feel like I took a wrong turn, he says, you find your direction in worship. Joshua, when he had to face Jericho and that whole whole city that had never been defeated, and just taking over from Moses and feeling this insecurity of leadership and not knowing, how are we going to beat them when they're all holed up in in in, in a fortified city that no one has ever beaten? The night before, he's walking to just make preparations, and then the angel of the Lord meets him, and he says, Joshua, this is holy ground. In the middle of your complexity, in the middle of all of this worry and anxiety that is in your life and not knowing what is the way forward. How are we going to defeat them? Are we all going to die here? It's a very real problem that has real consequences tomorrow. And the very first thing that the angel says is, this, in this messy space, he says, is holy ground. Take off your sandals. Worship And that's exactly what Joshua does. To a very real problem, he worships God. And we know the result that comes out of that. You know, when Job lost everything, uh, sorry, when when we see uh, Paul and Silas, they were flogged. And they were put into prison just because They helped a demon-possessed woman by casting out the demon that was inside of her. And the people got angry because they were manipulating the woman and using her for fortune-telling. And so they beat Paul and Silas, and they put them into prison. And the very first thing out of that, and the feeling of injustice, the feeling of, we just did what you called us to do, and this is the result out of it. The, the outcome doesn't fit the obedience. But in that space, what Paul and Silas do, and what comes into their mind was worship. They begin to worship, and in the worship it says, as they worship God, the foundations of that prison were shaken Let me read it for you guys in Acts chapter 16, verse 25 to 30. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Brothers and sisters, over and over again to real complex problems that our forefathers of faith experienced in their life... The the biblical witness keeps telling us over and over and over again their first tendency was worship. We got to go into worship. Now, when when we look at our own habits and and our tendencies and things go really bad at, at work or things get really busy, our tendency is to skip worship. Our tendency is, I can't go to church this week. Things in my life are just out of control. But what we learned from here, he's saying, no, the very first thing that they took care of is saying, we need to get back into a posture of worship because that is where we are being misaligned. We can't be driven by a wrong paradigm or by the circumstances and what the circumstances bring. We need to see it God's way. We need to be reconnected with him and to know, trust in him once again. See, Jesus ultimately, he gives us a model And the answer why, our forefathers of faith saw and understood worship as the number one anchor to our faith. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this, he says, I'll give to you if you'll only bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. See, what Satan, what we see clear in this passage is what Satan tries to do is he tries to misalign our hearts to worship something else. He says, All of these kingdoms I will give you, isn't that the reason why you came? Is to get these things and to get it easier And what basically Satan is convincing Jesus to do is saying, worship convenience. Worship the easier way. Worship the shortcut. And I'll give all of this to you if you do that. And Jesus' response is saying, no, my worship is going to always be anchored in God. No other thing takes the worship of my heart. And as soon as he says that, what happened? Satan flees. Satan cannot stand in the worship of God. Brothers and sisters, sometimes our minds are so preoccupied with the deception that Satan brings into our hearts and saying, No, you got to focus on this thing. This thing is more important. And he makes us keep thinking in that paradigm and in that way, and it makes so much sense to us. And what Jesus responds to that, he's saying, the problem that we have is our worship, or the number one aspect of what we worship is not God, but it's something else. Whether it's a relationship, whether it is uh, our family, whether it is our job, whether it is money, whether it is fame. Any one of these things, he's saying, your worship is misaligned. That's why the primary solution, the root cause, is our misaligned worship. You know, all of us, we all want to find our own glory, our own hope, and our own dream in the world. And Jesus tells us the true glory that we all seek, it's only found in God alone. The presence of God that truly satisfies everything. This is why he says, find it in worship. Only my presence. It satisfies everything. Our deepest longing. We are all called so to continually make sure that we carve space and do everything possible to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We do everything to make sure that takes its center place. The problems and the disconnectedness that we feel, it begins to fade away. As we go into God's presence in worship, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 to 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. We have to check our worship because sometimes we feel like worship doesn't work. I go to church and I sing the songs and then nothing changes in my life. Well, Jesus addresses that here, and he says, well, perhaps we honor God just with our lips, but our hearts aren't really there. Our hearts are still worshiping the other thing. We're just doing this as tokenism towards God and saying, is that what you want? Fine, here it is, but my life better change, but our, but our idol is still that thing. And Jesus mentions that's the struggle that we have. He says, be aware of what kind of worship that we bring to God. Is it just lip service, or is it really with our hearts? Jesus then tells a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, 23 to 24, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, when we do this, and we worship him with our whole heart, regardless of what we are experiencing, God satisfies our needs. In all the Exodus passages that we read, God, the blessing that we get there is that God says that he will not hold back against all things and all idols and all challenges that are in our way that keeps us from worshiping him this is the blessing that we see in the in exodus chapter 7 8 and 9 we don't see we didn't read the passage afterwards but god says this to pharaoh and if you don't let my people go if you don't let my people worship me in the desert, then I will send these plagues. Then I will send this opposition to you that you can't have a hold on my people anymore. Brothers and sisters, this is the promise. It doesn't just depend on my goodness and me being there and me being a good steward of my time. The promise that he gives us, you just have to have that wanting heart. And he goes, if you have that wanting heart, But the thing is, all your circumstances and all these trials and all these hardships that are oppressing you and Satan's just around you, dragging you down and saying, life's not changing and your life will never change. And even Pharaoh was saying that, you will never escape my grasp. And all these lies come into our head and this is why it keeps them from worship. The promise that God gives is that be fearful of those things that are trying to hold you back because I will not relent my anger and my fury upon those things. Brothers and sisters, whatever strongholds that are in our life, whatever hardships that we are are experiencing, God says as long as you have that wanting heart and you do it with that spirit of truth and desire, not with just proclaiming lips, but with your hearts, He says, as you come into this place, and then as you try to worship, and you want to give God everything, and then all of this crowded, satanic, oppressive things are around you and trying to say these lies. God's there. He's saying, I will push these things back, and I will curse all of these things that are trying to take you away from worship. But all that's required is a willing heart. That's it. We're not alone. God promises, see. these powers fall. And we see it. as so the Israelites, they go into worship, they get to Mount Sinai, and their worship is not good. They fall into idolatry right away, despite those mistakes. That willing heart at the beginning to go and to do it. God holds back the pharaoh Egyptian army. And he buries them in the sea. God upholds his promise. And the same promise that he gives to each and every one of us. Brothers and sisters, let's not keep, let's not allow anything to keep us from worship. This year, 2024, let's be committed to rediscovering the awe of God, the awe of God in our life. See how it changes us. It transforms us into his image, and we begin to experience his glory, being satisfied in him more and more in our life.